Welcome to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm Gemma. This is the place where we explore our relationship with food, be it friend or foe, and how this affects our behavior. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast and our one-off festive special kindly sponsored by Nell and Lola Natural Dog Chews. This episode is our gift for all the dogs and dog lovers out there because I'm here with Laura Doherty, founder of Doherty Dog Services. Laura is a passionate and dedicated force-free and evidence-based dog trainer. Her list of animal behavior her list of animal behavioural qualifications and canine care is long. But if I was a dog, I'd want Laura to be my mum. Our dog Bella, whom I shamelessly exploit on Instagram, loves Laura beyond anything and anyone. Laura has a sprocker spaniel called Duke Silver and a three-year-old son who's nameless. I don't know your son's name. <laughs> Laura, welcome to Love This Food Thing podcast. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. I'm yes. excited. It's lovely to have you. And when uh, when Laura arrived this morning, Bella went absolutely bonkers. And she is now, yeah, she's just lying on the floor gazing up at <laughs> I have no problem with it. I don't feel rejected. And I'm not the person who's ever typed into Google, does my dog like me? <laughs> And I did. I typed it in and just saw that loads of other people have said, how do I know if my dog hates me or loves me? Okay. Oh, we've all been there. We have, haven't we? But she does love you. And you always say to me, it's because I feed her chicken. Yes. It's not. It's because you've got something about you. (laughs) Anyway, happy, happy festive season to everybody. However you celebrate the Christmas holidays or not, I hope you're having a wonderful time. And this is just a fun informative, because Laura is an absolute expert, one-off treat for all our listeners. But just very quickly, how would you describe your relationship with food? Would you describe it as a friend or a foe? Definitely friend. Okay. Probably like a, an old best friend, really. Yeah. How lovely. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this before we got chatting today and, and I love food. I've always loved food. Um, there's a bit of a running joke in our family that if you're happy we eat if you're sad we eat you know any kind of mood state there is a food that can help with that brilliant Um, so we definitely comfort eat in my family but it's it's something that really bonds all of us together and with my partner and my son we're we're all big foodies we love to eat we love to share meals um, and I think I've been quite lucky maybe perhaps compared to to a lot of other Western women. Right. Uh, in that I've not had major struggles with food. My weight has certainly fluctuated quite dramatically over my life. Um, it's about 18 stone when I was 18 years old, and that's gone down to maybe 10 or 11 stone at other points. Just because of of changes in my life. In pregnancy, I put on a lot of weight with my first son. Yeah. Um, and then dropped it again. But I feel like I have a, a relatively good relationship with food. You see, you you do come, and I think it's something about working with animals because I've met lots of people who work with animals. You're, it's not about you. You're 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 present and you're embodied in your life and your body. That's how you come across because you're much more concerned with your relationship with animals and um, just being part of this wonderful world Mm. and being a creature on this planet you're not you just come across as someone who's incredibly grounded oh and and secure yeah I think probably that's 
that's a fair thing to say. I think working with animals definitely makes you quite mindful. Yeah. Um, okay. And you are quite self-aware because you you have to be. Dogs live so much quicker than us. And it kind of teaches you to be very much in the moment of, oh, this is delicious. This is amazing in yes. terms of food. But actually, I'm full now. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know? And I, I, so I, I can stop eating when I'm full and, and I eat when I'm hungry. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely adore food. Okay, amazing. Okay, so this this is this episode is going to be about um, dogs and food. Mm-hmm. It's going to be about dogs and behaviours and um, kind of common problems. Okay, so uh, do, what do I want to say? What do I like to ask? So do do you think in your experience of working because you do lots of one to ones? Laura has. Uh, um, uh, videos and uh, all sorts on her website. We'll get to that later. And on Instagram, do you think that people feed their dogs in the same way they feed themselves? Do you think they transfer their relationship, food relationship, onto their dogs? Yeah, I definitely think there are instances of that, particularly um, for people perhaps that do have more, do have quite complex relationships with food, with diet, with eating. I think it can overlap and sometimes we can maybe project um, our eating behaviours onto our dogs and how they should be eating and and it's easy to forget that they are very different species and they are built differently to us in their their dietary requirements yeah um, but also just the kind of structure of how they eat so dogs we tend to eat as humans you know three meals a day and dogs don't really biologically need that Right. That's not the way they were evolved. Okay. But we can get really fixed on, okay, this dog needs... Yes, we get up at seven, so the dog eats at five past seven. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, most dogs, often people will come to me and say, oh, my dog won't eat breakfast. Um, and it's often because they, they'll have it five minutes after waking up and they've they've not been for a wee or a poo and they've not kind of built up any appetite for food yet. Okay. And that's not really anything to worry about. The dog, it's, it's Most likely, if you take the dog out for a walk and then feed it, They'll eat then. That's what we've started to mm. do. And interestingly, because when we had dogs as a kid in, my, in our family, our dogs always ate at certain meal times. So then when I met you and you said, actually, because I think, is it the Spaniel in Bella? You said you need to eat at different times, otherwise they get bored. It's been like a revelatory. So I tend to be not absent feeding her, but... Um, yeah, I feed her at different times mm. of the day. Sometimes I feed her before a walk or after a walk. or it, And I also scatter the food across the floor. I always thought, oh, you put it in a little bowl. And, yeah. You know, and you're like, Absolutely. no, make it, so you're making more it like wild or more interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly as you mentioned, the food bowl is a really common um, thing. that, we're, And there's a, the kind of element of, of marketing and the pet food industry comes into all of this conversation as right, well. Right, right. Um, and it's a, it's a big conversation, really, because, the, I mean, again, there's no real biological reason at all that a dog needs to eat from a bowl. Dog bowl, food bowls have only really been around for maybe 150 years. Dog food in and of itself was only really invented in the 1800s. And we know dogs have been on the planet surviving, thriving for hundreds of thousands of years. So the dog bowl, the dog food in and of itself is a very modern invention. OK, that's um, about us, isn't it? And that's 100%. about dom- domesticizing. Yeah, absolutely. Domesticating but, dogs. Yeah, for 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 the vast majority of their history, dogs just had our scraps and our leftovers. Okay. Um, is that better for them to eat like that? 
yeah, there's pros and cons to both because if you're if you're feeding your dog a well balanced um, food a diet that's based on fresh food, whether that be um, raw fed or or fresh food and cooked diet, um, as long as they're getting a mix of of the minerals and the vitamins and the proteins that they need in their diet, okay. it doesn't matter how you go about it really. Uh, but it's just how strategic you want to be because we can use because food is such a, a motivating really reinforcing food for dogs, using some of that um, nutrition as training rewards is a really useful thing to do as well. Yeah. So we've had Bella as a puppy, as you know, um, and lots of her calorie intake, not so much now, but lots of it was coming from training mm. because I was training her with kibble and mm. then you introduced the chicken, mm. which I now do. I haven't <laughs> bought or eaten chicken for donkey's years. Yeah. I know that you haven't either. And now I'm trotting off to buy chicken because I haven't plucked up the courage to cook it raw, yeah. buy it raw and yeah. then cook it. Mm. So, and she's very she's very interesting around food. She she If she doesn't want to eat, then she won't eat. Mm. And then, so when that happens, I've got so many questions to ask you. When that happens, would you leave the bowl on the floor or do you take it away? Because you mentioned something the other day about dogs needing and wanting to work for food. Absolutely, they do, yeah. So don't leave food out all the time. I wouldn't recommend it, no. What I would do is, let's say you put down a a bowl full of food and your dog shows no interest. Um, I would pick it up after 30 minutes. And there's a few reasons that. Firstly, it's the hygiene element, particularly if you are feeding a fresh or raw food. You really don't want to be leaving fresh raw meat down on the ground okay Mm. right Uh, but even with kibble I would pick it up um, because flies are getting into it and what have you but secondly it's also about um, the motivation for your dog in terms of wanting to um, train and and earn their food which is really motivating thing for dogs to do but if they have free access to food all of the time it's the value of that as a resource for your dog, really starts to diminish. So very, very often I work with people who say, my dog's not motivated by food. They don't want treats. They're not interested. Uh, And very, very often what I see is that there's a bowl of food just on the kitchen floor almost overflowing with food right. and this dog has like I say this this constant access to food and therefore the value of it has really diminished okay but again what happens is I will pick up that bowl full of food and I'll sit next to the dog and I'll start throwing the food around or getting the dog to catch the food and suddenly it's got a lot more interesting right because food in and of itself is is of a certain value if you will but food plus interaction with humans right is a all altogether much more interesting thing. Okay. Um, and it's worth bearing that in mind with your dog is that often, you know, if it's just there all the time, eh, yeah. Yeah. take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, whereas if it's like a, a bit more novel, a bit more like, oh, you know, when, you know, I think, as you mentioned, using um, your the, your dog's daily food intake as part of their training as, right. as for rewards is a really useful thing to do. It's it, it You can also kind of um, then make sure that your dog's not having too many calories uh, yeah. and you're not getting, um, or you're not overfeeding or leading to an overweight dog, which has can have quite a lot of health implications as well. Yes. I was thinking when, um, because we live up 57 stairs, <laughs> yeah. as you know, and, and I throw food to get her mm-hmm. up the stairs if she doesn't want to, because she's taken to just like stopping. Yeah. So she waits for the game. Yeah. And it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it just, it just transforms everything, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think some people who are, and we'll move away from this in a minute, but some people who under eat, do you think they also underfeed their dogs? Have you come across that? Because over, overfeeding, I think, quite a normal thing to hear about absolutely really really common but underfeeding have you come across that 
I don't think I have, to be honest with you, because now prior to working with dogs, I worked in mental health. Right. Um, so I think it's a really interesting conversation to have it because I, what I actually see more is is perhaps clients that I work with, the human client who perhaps under eats or, or has their own complex relationship with, with eating and with food. Right. What I typically see is, is those individuals tend to actually overfeed their dogs. Ah, yeah. Uh, do you know? Yeah. They, they, and you can... I'm not by any means a, a eating disorder specialist, but you can recognise that there's something going on there that right. is about more than dog food. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah, about yeah, more yeah. than the bowl. So, um, and I would dream to to kind of um, overinterpret, over psychoanalyze those those behaviours. That's that's no longer my field, and particularly ED is, is certainly never sure, was my field. Sure. But often it can get quite complicated if a if an individual is overfeeding try and um approach that conversation very much from a dog perspective very much talking about oh you know this is what we don't want to do is is maybe overfeed the dog or or underfeed the dog because of the the health implications mm-hmm. and the behavioral implications for your dog uh-huh. rather than um you know, attempting to to deal with with any individuals, um, perhaps complex behaviours around food themselves. Yeah, and so much of it is tied up with love, isn't it? And Absolutely. I love you, therefore I'm going to feed you, yeah. and I'm going to give you this food that really isn't very good for you. Yeah, cetera, that's definitely something we see a lot. You know, people want to share their food with their dogs, which is lovely, but there's some foods that are really not going to be very good for your dog. And most dogs will eat whatever you give them. You know, dogs, as we talked about earlier, dogs evolved eating our scraps and our leftovers. Lionel, my husband, mm. his family used to chuck them the dogs all the quality streets at Christmas. <laughs> he does this really good impression. Of his lab does it. <laughs> on toffees <laughs> getting stuck that's so bad isn't it you, well, you wouldn't do that now you go oh, toffees to the vet chocolate to the vet yeah, oh my god absolutely absolutely And it, but you hear it all the time like, oh, because we kind of know nowadays that there are definitely some foods that aren't good for dogs mm, and their overall mm, health mm, and mm. can be potentially toxic however you know most of this knowledge that we have is fairly excuse me fairly recent yeah um so yeah up until i don't know 20 30 years ago people were giving their dogs grapes and things with onions and <laughs> garlic and what have you full and, curry dinner full, absolutely <laughs> and the vast majority of the time those dogs were fine yeah. you know it's or that if they were poorly it was put down to something else <laughs> you know or they got hold of a chicken bone or right. even very recently i heard of someone saying that they were get a you know KFC and they would give their dog the leftovers yeah. like, oh my god and it's making you cringe inside and the dog's just looking at you like yeah I yeah, love it great day <laughs> so what, yeah what do you do when you're eating and I've talked about this with someone else actually and your dog is barking at you mm-hmm. because you're eating even if they've just eaten mm. or even if they eat at the same time and they finish and then they bark at you so you've got a few options here. There's a really, really common problem Is it? with, yeah, absolutely, particularly with younger dogs. Um, so the the first option is, as you've just mentioned, is to feed your dog over your dinner time. So and and to do that in a way that kind of prolongs their eating, as opposed to just putting their dinner down in a bowl when you sit down to have your dinner. Maybe do a big scatter feed in the garden, maybe. If you've, if you've got an outdoor space where you can do that, if you've got a, another room where you can scatter your dogs, if it's dry food, across the floor. If it's um, a, a wet food, you could put that on a licky mat and put that in the freezer an hour before 
or as you start to get your dinner ready, pop theirs on a licky mat in a Kong, some sort of... A um, licky mat's just a rubber mat, isn't it? Yeah, but, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these things all day, I'm so in the zone. Um, but there's a, there's a number of really good um, silicone-based food toys out there right. that are great for um, put, using any kind of food, but especially wet food. Put the, the wet food on your licky mat in the Kong or the topple um, and put that in the freezer. Why do you put it in the freezer? It just makes it lasts a bit longer and and they don't so, mind having cold food no not at all feel, no, no. chill their livers or oh. no no not at all okay um so you can put that in the freezer and that is going to prolong the amount of time it takes your dog to get the food now for some dogs that might be frustrating um and we can that and that's really more of a behavior than okay. it is a, a food issue but what your dog's telling us there is that they have a low tolerance for frustration ah. so we might look at building up their tolerance of frustration how do you build up their tolerance of frustration by doing so if, if you were if you found that an hour of um sorry a kong filled with food in the freezer for an hour was too frustrating for your dog and mm. they were barking at the toy and at you because they couldn't access the food quick enough the next day you might just put it in the freezer for 10 minutes uh, and then the following day 20 minutes and so uh, on until you built you could build up your dog's tolerance of, okay. of working through that and, and the reason it's beneficial to have your dog work away at a toy for a prolonged period of time is not only firstly because if they're if they're um licking and chewing on a Kong were filled with their dinner, they're not barking with you. You know, barking and, and licking at imp- incompatible behaviours. Okay. Um, the the other benefit are, is that licking and chewing are really calming behaviours for dogs. Okay. So if your dog is getting frustrated or they're overexcited or so many um, behaviours that we might find um, problematic or undesirable right. Right. can are signs that your dog is, is a bit worked up. Okay. And maybe they're frustrated or they're stressed or they're anxious or they're just really overexcited as well. Okay. A lot of those can be helped by getting our dogs engaging in calming behaviours. And those are typically sniffing, chewing and licking. So sniffing on a walk, for instance, sometimes I take Bella out on the beach and she'll just sniff for half an hour. Yeah, and I'm like, amazing. That's, that's a that's a good job. Absolutely. Yeah. Meditation for dogs, we say Is about it? sniffing. 100%. Yeah. What about licking? Licking is another great one as well. All of these three behaviours all help to release calming hormones into the brain and the body. Uh, so they're really the antidote to the adrenaline, uh, adrenaline, yes. excuse me, and cortisol. No, neither of us can speak. It's too early in the morning. We've had coffee, but we're like... <laughs> <laughs> um, those behaviours really are the antidote to those kind of stress uh, and right. you know, fast-paced hormones. Right. You want to slow your dog down and just help them calm down and relax a little bit. So, uh, and the way that you can get Get your dog licking. A licky mat is the big one um, that I find really beneficial. But really, you might have like some squeezy cheese that you can even just put like on a if you're out on a walk on on a rock or wow. something. Oh, you know, okay. Uh, on a on a the a common one that I see a lot of my colleagues do is having. Um, like baby food pouches. I bought some the other day. Yeah, they're really handy because they're easy to, to use, particularly when you're wearing gloves and mittens in the winter. It's easier than than kind of having small bits of treats. Ah. But also you can just squeeze a bit of baby food onto a tree bark. Yeah, and that's a great one for, you know, if your dog's been, maybe they've just had a great play with another dog yeah. and now they're still a bit like, woo Yeah, <laughs> that's how they, that you have to help them bring themselves down. Absolutely. And different yeah, yeah. breeds are more hyper than others, aren't they? Definitely, I'm, yeah. Obviously, I'm stating the obvious here. Yes. But yes, teaching your dog how to relax. Absolutely. And it's very much a, a learned skill, particularly, like you say, for some of our, our more working line 
energetic breeds, your cockapoo, uh, my Springer Cross Cocker, um, his working lines, and he is always less so now that he's nearly six. Right. But yeah, the first few years of his life really, really struggled to to kind of calm himself back down again and relax after um, you know uh, playing with other dogs or chasing a ball or yeah. playing tug, any kind of high paced activity. And then you have certain breeds that are more. Um, naturally inclined to karma behaviours. Your bulldogs, right. you know, English bulldogs, French bulldogs, shih tzus, um, you know, your breeds that were bred for being a lap dog right. are typically going to be calmer than breeds right. that were bred to work out in a field all day. You yeah. Know, your gun dog breeds, um, so that's Labrador, Setters, Spaniels, right, right. etc. They are not naturally calm animals. And that's that's absolutely fine, you know. And meeting your dog's needs in terms of exercise and mental stimulation, things like that, are really key in helping them be calm. Because we can't expect a um, one-year-old Springer Spaniel just to be calm after waking yeah, just, uh, just, just because we've come indoors and we'd now like to do something, we're going to take a quick break. This episode is sponsored by Nell and Lola, natural dog treats. Food that's good for your furry friend and packaging good for the planet too. Use LTFT15 for 15% off at nellandlola.com. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Laura. We just had some more coffee, so we're calm. We're ready. We've done our articulation exercises. <laughs> not going to anymore. So Nell and Lola, lovely company. Nell and Lola choose... This is your shout out. Nell and Lola, let me just say a little bit about Nell and Lola. I like a kind of grassroots, newish company. Mm. And they have a 97% five-star review rate on Trustpilot, something like that. They Their mission is to be as eco as possible, combined with an excellent customer experience. Now, I don't know why it's important for dogs to have natural chews, because isn't there this thing about not having raw hide, mm. I instantly want to sing the song <laughs> <laughs> and slap my thigh. Raw hide. Um, obviously, I do get it about processed chews, but um, talk to us about natural chews mm. and the benefits and... I think grain-free. What's all that about? Yeah. Being grain-free for dogs. Both natural and grain-free are both really important. Um, Which is what Nella Lola are. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I've actually been a really big fan of Nella Lola for a good few years now after hearing them um, being shouted out on another podcast. Oh, <laughs> okay. a big fan of their products. Chewing um, in general is a really important karmic behaviour. It's something that um, our dog's ancestors would have done naturally because they would have hunted um, mm -hmm. some form of animal, um, got hold of the animal and then taken quite a long time to dissect and chew that animal. It's a bit graphic and gross, but that is a really natural, normal dog behaviour and one that has a load of benefits for your dog's overall health in terms of teeth cleaning, in terms of... Um, the nutrients they can get from all of that but also behaviorally uh, like sniffing and licking chewing um releases the calming hormones into your dog's body that okay, we want yeah. and the longer they're chewing the more of those good hormones that you're going to get okay um so the natural chews that nell and lola um offer are fantastic because they've got a range of different sizes so for your you know you might not want a really big um chew Goat for seer. yes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might be too big <laughs> just too much but funny enough duke my dog literally had a goat's ear last night and that 
maybe takes him 15, 20 minutes to have. And that's perfect after a walk or after a, a you know, a busy training session, a high paced training session to help him relax and, and kind of yeah, settle down yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're really useful for that. And and with regards to the rawhide, rawhide is a gross formation of leather, essentially, right. that we really don't want to be giving our dogs because it blocks up their systems. Um, unfortunately, rawhide products are really popular at Christmas, and you are see, they? A lot, yeah, you see a lot of these kind of stockings of dog treats in the supermarkets, in your pet shops. And they're just no good for, for dogs. I would definitely suggest that you you have a look at Nell and Lola's website and get them something from Yeah, we have an affiliate link. Of, so they're, oh, everyone's amazing. having 15% off, I think, or something similar. Perfect. Yeah. Whereas the, the kind of stuff that you tend to see in, in the shops and the supermarkets tends to be this like dyed red and green rawhide that is just... It's just rubbish. Is it? Yeah, is it? And it's so often you'll hear these stories of dogs getting um, intestinal blockages um, or issues in the backside because yeah. they just can't digest these, right, these things right, actually. Right, right. Um, whereas like I say, the, the kind of products that you can get from Eleanor, I actually really like their sausages as well because they're great as training treats. Okay, so do got, you have them as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you eat them, I mean? No. <laughs> <laughs> She's going, yeah, I'm thinking, oh, what, with beans? Yeah. <laughs> No, they are strictly for the dogs. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, but yeah, they do a really nice um, mix of flavours on those that, that have been a hit with all the dogs. Um, yeah, and I really, like I say, I really like their chews as well. They do it a nice mix. I like their dental chew box specifically. Okay, okay, okay. So that's a, a really good shout out for them and they're brilliant. And did we mention grain-free? Are grains just not great for dogs? They're not, no. They can't digest them in the same um, ways that, that humans can. Um, although that's another conversation in itself. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, steering away from, <laughs> from grains is going to be better for your dog's health in general and um, they can't process it very well it can often lead to some behavioral issues going on as well because they can't process it it's got to something's got to happen with all that energy okay okay i have a i, I did jot some things down actually mm -mm -mm -mm. we've done not eating always wanting food boredom with food what do we not understand with our human brains about the dog brain do you have anything to say about that so i think <laughs> reinforcement is something that we need to talk more about with dogs and when I say reinforcement reinforcement can be anything that your dog finds rewarding and engagement counts as reinforcement for them so that might be food it might be play it's interaction and attention from us um, it's how it feels when it digs it's relief from a stressful situation anything that your dog finds pleasurable and rewarding counts as reinforcement and that drives every single behaviour that your dog does. Every single behaviour? Every single behaviour, yeah. And eating is a behaviour. Sleeping is behaviour. Yeah. You know, so when we think of things like that, it's much easier to understand the reasons that our dogs do what they do. Because there is there is a reinforcement at play always in whatever okay. they're doing. Okay. Um, and that doesn't apply as much with human behaviour because we have cognitive thought. Sometimes we'll do things that we know don't necessarily want to do, but we have to do it. Right. Um, whereas dogs just don't function like that. You okay. know? How, how do they think? How do they store images and and and, and memories? If if you because horses are different. If you're training if you're with a horse and you're you want it to, I don't know, you want to put a rug on its back and it doesn't like it. I mean, obviously that's quite actually a complicated issue for a horse that doesn't like it. But you have to make sure that it's exactly the same every time. Mm. So if you move a bucket from one corner of the stable to another, that's a different image for a horse, so it's a different experience. Yeah, and dogs, dogs like completely dissimilar. Yeah, they certainly get very 
take a lot of information from the context and from the environment in for certain situations. So, for example, I was at a training comp dog training conference the other day a fantastic uh, vet called Dr Amber Batson who I definitely recommend looking up um, Dr Amber Batson mm, yeah okay. she runs uh, Understand Animals okay and she was talking about how when our dogs we can do loads of work at home on helping our dogs um you know, be comfortable with things like having their ears examined and their tails and, you know, or any kind of um, checkup behaviours that you might do. And that might include things like preparing your dog for a blood draw. So maybe kind of holding the skin in between the shoulder blades or what have you. But we can do that all day long and our dogs can be amazing at doing that at home. But as soon as we take that into a a vet context, it's a completely different ball game. Right. And Unless you're doing it in the vets, you're very unlikely to to really see any any improvement. Um, so that and, and there's studies being done on that recently about how you know you can you can do all this work at home and you can use really high value treats like sausages and chicken and what have you, but if you're not doing it in the actual context, right. it really doesn't make a huge amount of difference. So what's this, is there a solution to that other than it's training at the vets really? Wow. Yeah, for for that specific thing. So do, do any vets offer any basic training courses just to take the dog because you see the dogs in the vet waiting room mm. and they don't like it. They know no. something's going on. So I wonder if any vet does a open evening every other week and you take your vet. I mean, you take your vet to the dog. You take your dog <laughs> to the vet. They take them into the waiting room. You sit around and then you leave. That would be great. Yeah, wouldn't it? absolutely. And and more and more vets are starting to be more um starting to work more alongside with with owners with guardians in helping dogs feel more comfortable with that um with with kind of veterinary procedures um, because typically traditionally um vet care and behavior have been quite separated right when it comes to dogs yep. which is a real shame because they're so intrinsically linked mm. i've got a dog who's absolutely terrified of the vets um and it took us a few different um it took us going to a few different vets to really find one that would um work alongside us in in helping duke feel comfortable in building up a solid relationship with him where because he can be so actively aggressive towards the vets really yeah he starts barking oh he yeah does he bite he's not bitten but he there is a lot of behaviours that would lead you to think he might be just about to bite. So right. he will really snarl. Um, he's he's air snapping. Right. And he's he's 25 kilos. So whilst that doesn't sound like a hugely big dog, 25 kilos, if it's leaning all of its weight trying to attack someone or something, is, is quite a strong, powerful yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the point being that we've managed to build up a relationship where our, our last vet visit was actually really good because we we worked with the vet and said, like, listen, could we stay out in the car park and maybe walk Duke around? And we did things like scatter feeds and he had a chew out in the in the car park of, of the vets and he didn't need to go and sit in the waiting room. Uh. We, we called in and we said, hi, we're here. Um and we'd spoken to them beforehand about the vet coming out to see Duke and, ah. and doing things like, okay, so instead of trying to get a blood draw here, it's, you know, can we, how can we figure this out so that we can make sure that Duke's staying as calm as possible? We're not overly stressing him out. And we're also not putting the, the safety of any of the vets off, right. you know, in, right, in any compromised right, right. way, because that's obviously not something we'd want to do either. Yeah. Um, sorry, I've gone off on a, no, on no, a no, tangent I'm fascinated there. Cause I'm just, no, because it was going to lead on to my 
uh, this whole theme and how how you are as a dog trainer is that it's all reward based mm. and lived. No, let me get <laughs> let me just uh, get my notes here. Yes, okay. What do you call it? Force free, force, force free, free training. Yes. Yeah. So because we have a history, particularly in this country, mm. and I think it comes from the military. Mm-hmm. It certainly does for horses. So I imagine it does for dogs and the way that we use dogs in the military and in uh yeah in the police force mm. etc it's the training methods have been about punishment and breaking down absolutely that. and i think that's still probably true for lots of people with dogs particularly big dogs yes when you see so yeah those people with their big dogs and you're like mm. And there's and there's choke chains and yeah and, and, the, and the, what are the you know the muzzle nose thingies yes yeah um, what's that about head collars face uh, collars yeah, yeah. oh <laughs> that's Bella's thoughts on face no. collars okay. oh hang on a minute we just oh, we'll be right back so that was Bella's response to mm-hmm. quite right too yeah no, to head halters yeah. <laughs> I have all the technical terminology <laughs> at my fingertips so sometimes I see people on the beach and around here and they have um straps around their dog's noses and a couple of people have actually looked at me and said oh it's because they keep picking stuff up Mm -hmm. like an apology and it looks kind of brutal is Mm. it necessary so there's a a few different things that that a dog might wear over their face um and uh, one of those might be a muzzle yes now a muzzle as long as it's um the dog's been trained to to wear it and they're comfortable with it there's there's nothing wrong with a a muzzle and you you will meet plenty of dogs who are wearing a muzzle because they um continue to to maybe eat other dogs poo or they pick up chicken bones or what have you yeah yeah dead fish yeah absolutely any any number of things um and often we tend to think oh if if a dog's wearing a muzzle it it it's a bite risk. Right. And it's not necessarily always the case. Like I say, as long as a muzzle has been, a dog's been conditioned and trained well to, to wear a muzzle and they're comfortable with it, it's not uh, problematic at all. Okay. Um, there are other tools that I, I would certainly do think would be more problematic. So things like choke chains, slip leads, um, uh, shock collars, e-collars, um, those are are problematic, and the reason that is is because what's well, a shock collar? It's an electric shock yeah, collar. Yeah, yeah. What do you do? Carry a little clicker or something and stimulate yes, it? Wow, yes. Do people uh, use that? Yeah, unfortunately so. Um, and because there is no regulation within the dog training industry, you can buy those just in in shops and and online very very easily. Um, so with the with the e collars, there's a number of different kind of variations on them where the dog might um, have the collar on, and and some are designed as anti bark collars. So when the dog barks, they're, they're wearing this collar around the neck, and and the barking um, activates the collar, which then may give the dog um, a vibration. Right. Which the vibration um, is it good different levels of intensity? Yes. Yeah. yeah because yeah. I would have thought just a t- I mean just a tiny is fine. No. It's always about the individual dog. And what we tend, the idea is that it's a punishment and it stops the behavior. Uh, However, for a punishment to work for a dog, it has to be punishing, which sounds like an obvious thing to say, but it has to be quite unpleasant and aversive for that dog for it to stop. So so you can stop a dog barking with these anti-bark collars. and, and and the other thing that might happen is they bark and, and they get a spray of citronella, which oh. is quite unpleasant for a dog as well because right. they don't tend to like citrus. No. And either of those things, for, for it to stop the barking, that has to be an unpleasant 
consequence for the dog. So if it if the reason they are barking is more um more intense, more problematic, a bigger issue for the dog than the the vibration or the citronella spray. They're going to keep barking. Okay. So it, it is ineffective. And also they might be barking just chatting or fearful. Any so they, you were really punishing them for being fearful. Absolutely. You, do. you and, tend to just be suppressing behaviours. And will those behaviours come out at some point? Absolutely. So what can also happen is if then, so let's say your your dog tends to, um, when they see another dog, they bark. Okay. I don't know how to get with this. So I'm going to put, um, and there's no judgment here on owners that that do use these these tools, because I understand how frustrating it is if your dog is barking and you don't know what to do with it. It can seem like, oh, that will work. That will help my dog stop barking. Right. Um, and you will see, unfortunately, a lot of your TikTok trainers and and what have you that will recommend these products, and you will have trainers out there that do recommend these tools. And the 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 issue you have then is what we call fallout. So. Your dog sees a dog. Every time they see that dog, they bark. So we go, oh, I don't know what to do. Right. I'm going to get this anti-bark collar. I'm going to put the, the anti-bark collar on the dog. And now when the dog sees another dog, they bark and then they get a vibration. For most dogs, they're going to go, oh my God. Right. Oh God, that was awful. So now when I see a dog, not only am I scared of the dog, which is probably yeah. the reason that they're barking. Might be other things. Might be frustration. Might be any number of things. But it's probably because they're scared. Right. So they've seen the dog, they've barked, and they, because they want that dog to go away. Yeah. And then they've got a, a shock or a, a spray of something really unpleasant. Wow. And now they go, oh my God, not only is the dog scary anyway, but something even more horrible happens when I see this wow. dog. Wow. I don't, now barking is communication. What we're probably trying to communicate to our owner is I need to be further away from that scary dog. Right. So if we then punish the dog by spraying them or by electrocuting, not electrocuting well, them, you sorry, are shocking, electrocuting, yeah, yeah, shocking yeah, them, shocking, shocking them, them okay. yeah. then we're not helping the dog feel any more safe. In fact, we can intensify that dog's problem because if that happens so many times in a row, at some point, your dog is going to go, oh my God, I don't know how to escape. I don't know how to get away from the scary dog and this horrible thing that's happening every time I see a scary dog. So we can end up with, like I said, what's known as fallout. And that might, what is the, unfortunately really common is the dog goes, I don't know what to do. I've tried to express through barking that I'm scared and being punished for that. So now I need to either kind of give in completely and, and go into what we might call shutdown mode right. and just uh, give up trying to avoid this situation because I can't. And that is really sad. It is trauma. Really sad. You can see that in dogs, can't you? Absolutely. And unfortunately, what it, it can often be interpreted as a well-behaved dog, uh, but actually... They're broken. They're Their broken. spirit's broken. Absolutely that. And, and how, the, will a, how will... Sorry, but how, um, it sounds kind of obvious, and I'm sure dog owners will be going, yeah, of course you know that, but a broken dog or a sad dog is going to be a dog that isolates itself. Absolutely, and doesn't engage in normal dog behaviour, doesn't want to engage with you as the owner. The flip side, though, is a dog might shut down, but in my experience, what's actually much more common is a dog who... who um, completely lashes out and you then create a dog who can be a real potential bite risk because those feelings aren't going away they're just being suppressed right so at some point and quite often it's we've we've been um you know zapped with the e-collar 
or, you know, yanked on with a choke chain, whatever it is, at some point, that dog is, those feelings are going to come out. Right. And that might look like absolutely attacking the other dog, but quite often it's what we call reprojection. It's where the dog goes, I don't know what to do anymore. These feelings have to come out and I'm going to turn around and bite the hand of the owner. Wow. Or I'm going to attack the nearest thing because I have to get these feelings out. I'm so terrified now I have to do something do you come across that a lot absolutely very very often and and unfortunately it is very often where you know you've got uh, a dog who's who's having big feelings mm. about any whatever it might be uh, and the owner like I say it goes oh I don't know what to do I'll, I'll work with this trainer or I've seen this thing online I'm gonna get them an e-collar or I'm gonna get them a choke collar or a prong collar or any number of these tools um and, and this, okay, so the prong collar works whilst we're out on a walk. Oh my God. And then one day they've apps, you know, they've managed to, to slip a lead or to get off a collar or they've got out the front door and they've seen a dog and they've really gone for it. Uh, and they've to, to, ban to banish. Absolutely. You know, that has to get rid of the thing that's stimulating them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so it's, they're really potentially very dangerous. Okay. Um, okay. So there's. In the short term, you might find that these tools work as a, as a quick fix, I say, in a, inadverted fingers, hands, yeah, commas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but in the long term, they, there's some really potentially dangerous consequences and side effects. And what you want to do, the same with any animal and humans, is you want to build your dog's confidence levels mm. and its trust levels. Absolutely, yeah. And to teach it to be... I would... I, Aware. Yeah. So we have a dog that runs up to every other dog, which is, well, every dog. So she can't do that all the time. Mm -hmm. So we teach her to be aware. But it's about reinforcing good behaviour, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's okay, about we're understanding. Take Sorry. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Nell and Lola, natural dog treats. Food that's good for your furry friend in packaging good for the planet too. Use LTFT15 for 15% off at nellandlola.com. Welcome back to Love This Food Theme Podcast. So Bella's come back in, completely ignored me, <laughs> and is lying at Laura's feet. What am I to do? <laughs> I said, will she do this if she came to live with you? And Laura very nicely said, no, because she'd be habituated. So I'm kind of, yeah, my ego's intact. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about dog language, learning mm -hmm. dog language. Yeah. So learning uh, dog body language is one of the best <laughs> things that you can do to have a better relationship uh, with your dog to understand how they're feeling and to predict maybe what they're going to need next or what they're going to do okay. next. So let's talk, what are the letters or the words of dog language? Mm. So there, it's going to vary somewhat from individual to individual um, in terms of how they're going to express feelings. But there's some really um, common ones and common kind of myths with dog body language as well. Okay. So for example, a wagging tail. Everybody thinks, oh, my dog's wagging their tail. They must be really happy. And actually, particularly for certain breeds, that can be a bit of a misnomer. Okay. Your Spaniels, for example, a lot of your gun dog breeds are just wag. If they're awake, their tail is wagging. So it doesn't necessarily, you know. And and as I've mentioned, you can be really aggressive at the vets. This dog can be lunging and attacking and still wagging his tail. So we can't necessarily, and obviously then some dogs don't have tails at all. Right. Our gun dog, uh, sorry, bulldog breeds tend to have very stubby little tails, particularly yeah. English um, and, and French bulldogs. Yeah. 
So they can't really, and again, the Boston Terriers, things like that, they don't really have much of a tail. So we can't take a lot of information from the tail. Except Bella has a tail that she will wag in frustration. It's like a metronome. Yes. And you you taught me that. You Mm. said when it's going around in a helicopter... She's happy, mm. but man, does her tail go left to right very slowly. In a very slowly. slow cat-like yeah, fashion slow cat-like when she's a bit fashion. frustrated. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 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 the frustration And then she wag. lowers her head and I'm like, and then she looks at me and I'm like, okay, she's going to bark. She's going to bark. Anyway, carry <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what we, the, what we want to see, if your dog is calm and happy and relaxed, whether they're on a, on a walk or at home, what we're typically looking for is, is a kind of loose... Um, body okay so that means that they're not stiff they're not frozen they're not tense up in the body um the the face is typically not all wrinkled up um we might have a slightly open mouth okay but not excessively panting right um and and what we're you know, the tongue should still be mostly in the mouth. If your dog's panting with their tongue is, you know, wagging, really hanging out their mouth, yeah. they're either um, overheating or right. they may well be a bit stressed out as well. Oh, right. Okay. So often it, uh, the, the kind of difference between a, a dog smiling and grimacing is is the wrinkles around the mouth and, and the state of the tongue. Okay. So if the tongue's really hanging out, particularly if it's starting to curl up in, in the middle, that, that dog may well be overheating or getting a bit stressed out. Okay. Okay. Equally with the eye, what you will see with the, a dog who's a bit concerned about what's going on is that the, you can see what, uh, the whites of the eye. And that's often called whale eye. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to talk about my dog. <laughs> my dog, not our dog. My dog. Lionel will be sitting here going, yeah, she's my dog. <laughs> um, she will often, she'll give me a little side eye. Mm. But that doesn't look like whale eye. Mm-hmm. It's cute. Yeah. You can see the white of her eye. Mm-hmm. But she's definitely going... Uh huh. Yeah, just keeping an eye on the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's not well, I is it? It's hard to know without seeing it and, and knowing the context. Oh, she'll just be sitting there. Yeah. So what she might out. be saying is, "All right, mum, yeah. you're you're good to kind of stay over yeah, there." You're quite embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> she is a teenager now, so it could well be that. Yeah. And can you over pick? Can you pick up your dog too much? Can you pet them too much? Can you? Smother, you can smother them, can't you? Yeah, definitely. And that's a really common one, particularly with really cute breeds, which right. all of our dogs are really cute. And yeah. We want to pet them all the time. Yeah. But uh, honestly, we'll have a better relationship with our dog if we can learn to read that body language and we can learn to read when your dog is consenting to, to affection and when they're not. And how do you know that they're consenting to your affection? What's a good so kind of test? If you, if you go to, um, uh, we call it the three second test. That's a really good consent test for dogs. So that will look like you. You, you pet your dog uh, and you, you know, maybe scratch them behind the ear or on their chest. Most dogs don't really want to be pat on the top of their head. Yeah. Uh, but your back of the ears, on the chest, maybe on the on the shoulders. Do that for three seconds and stop. Your dog, any dog, will likely do something then. If they want you to continue, it tends to be pretty obvious. They'll nudge your hand, they'll nudge their head into into your knees and your body. You know, they'll you, they'll have that nice loose body. They might be wagging their tail, yeah. but they'll be looking to continue the interaction. If they're not really that interested, they might walk away. They'll look away. They'll, you know, not really choose to interact with you. And the more that you practice this kind of three second test, particularly with your own dog, you're more to, you're more likely to start to pick up on the context in which they're interested in 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 being pet and being fussed okay um so i would definitely recommend not um fussing your dog when they're eating and when they're sleeping um those are not contexts which most dogs 
you know, like us, want to be stroked or fussed. How do you wake a dog up when you need it to wake up? So if you need your dog to wake up, I would call their name from a distance. Um, particularly, there's a phenomenon called sleep startle, which is really common um, phenomena for all dogs, where if a dog is asleep and you touch their head or you touch any part of their body, they can react in a, a very instinctive, aggressive way. Okay. So that might look like lunging, but I've known plenty of dogs to bite when they've been woken up, uh, like startled awake, and they've just lunged at and bitten whatever that closest thing is. So that's what we, we don't want that happening to any owners or guardians, but particularly if you've got small children in the house, I would definitely recommend, you know, making sure that your dog's got plenty of space when they're asleep and that if you need to wake them up, you go, hey, Juki, hey, Bella. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And let them give them a, just, it only takes a couple of seconds, but I'm just give really them that bad. second. I'm going to have to confess now <laughs> of everybody. So when Bella's asleep on the bed, sometimes I, in the daytime, sometimes I go and lie on the bed with her and then I might stroke her a little bit and she'll maybe wake up and look at me. She doesn't like it, does she? And then she'll move away well, and then I leave. So if she moves away, then yeah, she probably didn't like yeah. it. But if she stays there and just yeah. goes back to sleep and stretches her front legs up into the air? Yeah. If she stretches her, her back legs and she's kind of like belly up in the yes. air, yeah. that's a very vulnerable position to she be does in. Lot, yeah, yeah okay. so she's telling you that she feels safe there. Oh, okay. Because if she didn't, she would like roll away and, and hide her, her bits, basically. Right, yeah. Because it's not a, a safe thing to do for an animal to have their, their bellies and their bits exposed. Right. So... Yeah, a dog has to feel quite safe to, to do oh, that behaviour. Yeah, that absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what I will say is that dogs will tolerate an awful lot of our human nonsense. They, they do. Really they're very polite as well, aren't they? They're so polite. Yeah, yeah, they're so tolerant. And they've really learned to adapt to us. What was okay? Yes, they have learned to adapt, and they, I imagine they're constantly adapting because mm, absolutely, even when you have a new dog, because they're dependent on you for food, absolutely, and yeah. for a safe for place to sleep. We for control everything. Everything, everything in their lives. Yeah. What else do we miss in dog language that we need to know? And I imagine quite a few owners will they, they will tell you, won't they? They will tell you about their dog and oh, this is what the dog. This is what my dog means when it's doing this, and oh, they're a bit moody. This, that, and the other. And actually, it's all transference of. The human brain onto the dog brain. Very often it is, yeah, so yeah, yeah. What else are we missing that's very common, would you say? So um, some really common ones are things like lip licking, um, yawning, um, and turning the head away. So they're all quite, which I did there, so I hope you, you heard me. <laughs> <laughs> um, turn the, turn head, the head away, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're quite common signs that a dog is actually quite uncomfortable with what's happening. Lip licking. Lip licking, yawning, and looking away. Okay. So sometimes a dog will want to be close to you, but doesn't necessarily want you to be touching them. Right. Um, and, and so you might go to scratch them and they look away or they lick their lips or they yawn. And the same if if there's an interaction with another dog, maybe another dog is, has come over and is sniffing their bum and you notice that your dog um, maybe looks away and, and lip licks or yawns, but also things like puts their nose to the ground and, and kind of sniffs. Um, the tail is tucked under. All of these signs yeah. that actually this dog is a little bit uncomfortable and it might be better if we if we gave them some distance right? Um, from the other dog or from, from ourselves, from whatever it is that they're a bit worried about. Okay, okay. Because distance is safety for dogs. So if they're not sure about that thing, okay, let's, let's help them move away from it. Do you know, we're going to wrap up soon because I've got an eye on the time here and um, yeah, it's just been lovely, lovely mm. talking to you, Yeah, Laura. it's been great. 
great if I could talk all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm like too. getting a free session with you. <laughs> so let me talk about Bella. <laughs> Do you know how far a dog will run? Okay, sp- it, supposing it's running away because it feels attacked. Mm-hmm. How far away will it run before it stops and looks back at its attacker? Is Ooh, there a distance? A good, I don't think there is a set distance. Uh, I can't say it's something that I've ever seen any any studies on. It is going to depend very much on the individual and the context. Okay. And, and even the running away in and of itself will depend on that individual and the context. Let's say, for example, my dog who yeah. has very severe separation anxiety, which means he really, he would never choose to to leave my proximity. He's not a dog that I've ever accidentally lost because that would be Duke's worst nightmare. Right. Um, so for him, if there was another dog attacking him, Duke would stand and fight before he ran away. Oh, right. Every single time okay. because the risk of not being with me is greater than any potential right, dog. Right, right, right. So it's always about the individual and the context. For another dog, what they might do is run home. Okay. Or, you know, run to the nearest shelter. To the nearest safe space. Absolutely, yeah. And okay. that might even just be behind a, a person if, yeah. if they find people to be safe generally. And that whole thing about sleeping under a table, sleeping mm. in a corner, sleeping under a blanket, that's all about safety, isn't Ab- it? Everything's about safety, yeah. Everything's about safety. Yeah, absolutely. We forget that really our dogs are, are animals. Um, um, but I'm also thinking they're predators, but they're not. In, but we're the top predator with them, aren't we? Yes, but we don't eat dogs. So in the we, UK, yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm sure it does get into the food production line somewhere. No, you're right. It does. It does. Yeah. And, there, and there's we're seeing more and more dogs in this country now who are um, what we call meat trade survivors. Uh, which uh, I anyway, that's it's a, an old, another, a whole different that's conversation. That's not a Christmassy conversation. <laughs> is it? No, no, happy Christmas. <laughs> hey, <yay. laughs> have a good holiday. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it, they are they are a predator. But again. Everything with dogs is it depends on the individual. Okay, you, there's such a vast array. If you look at the the uh, the body even of a Chihuahua compared to a Great Dane, yeah, you, you wouldn't really believe that they were the same species. Yeah, this is true. This is true. You know, there's so, and we have dogs are one of the most successful species on the planet. Are they? Yeah, absolutely. I thought rats were. Probably rats too, yeah, but um, dogs yeah. are certainly up there. Wow, because mm. they've been around for such a long time. Been around for such a long time um, and they have developed a number of behaviours to help them survive. Right, you right, know? right, right. And one of them being learning to depend on us humans and learning to be super cute with them. And they're super cute. Super cute. What a great yeah. note to wrap up on. Yes. Very, so very quickly, uh, I mean, I could talk to you for ages and it's it's just a, it's a vast subject, isn't yeah. it? Oh, Absolutely. I think we've done the dog language, licking the lips, uh, not good. It, any, If you want any information about Laura, as usual, it will be on Instagram. She has a website, Instagram, she has all sorts, and we will point you towards her on our show notes. Also, you can just like directly message me. But before we go very quickly, we've got one minute. Mm-hmm. What are your five favourite foods? If you were going to an island, any island, what would you take? And what are Duke's five favourite foods? Yes, I've, I've been thinking Have about this. Out? Yeah, when Go I was on. listening to your previous podcast, I was like, hmm. So mine would be potatoes. How do you do your potatoes? Literally any single way. Raw? <laughs> yeah. Like her dog? No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> any single way, okay. Anything. Mash, my, my Irish ancestors would say mash. Okay, um, I'm with them. Chips, hash browns, um, sauté <laughs> potatoes, any any type of potatoes. I'm here again. for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> then the second one would probably be cheese. Right. Third one would be pasta. Okay. Chocolate. And then on the fifth one, I was like, I should probably have some form of, um, you know, non-starchy carb. <laughs> um, 
So I think I'll go with a strawberry. Oh, you with a strawberry. Amazing. <laughs> Love strawberry. And does Duke's list differ in any way? Yes, definitely, because I don't eat meat. Of course. Um, but Duke, being a dog, benefits okay. from, from a higher protein diet. So he's on raw food. Duke's number one food would be ham or really any kind of pork product. Okay. The only food that I would say me and Duke share on our top five food list is cheese. Okay. Duke loves cheese. And then after that, it's really any kind of meat. And, and what would definitely feature for Duke would be any of my toddler's leftovers. Okay. But you give him veg as well, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he eats it. But he it's not he certainly wouldn't train for veg. Okay. He no, would, he, okay. he'll eat sweet potatoes and broccoli and carrots and stuff. Um, particularly if my son has kind of manhandled them beforehand. <laughs> for some reason they're more delicious then. Um but yeah, he'll eat it, you know, because it's there and he's okay. a bit of a he'll kind of eat most things that you okay. put in front of him. Yeah. He's a bit of a dog. <laughs> he, he's an absolute <laughs> dog, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we mean that in the most complimentary way. Absolutely, they're my favourite species. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on Love This Week. It's been my absolute pleasure. This has been great. Thank you for having me. Happy holiday season. Yes, Festivities indeed. to everybody. Have a blast and look after your dog and um, feed it lots of quality streets. I think that's what we were basically saying. <laughs> Don't take that away from this conversation. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Gemma. If you'd like to learn more about the mission we're on today and who we help, Simply head to lovethisfoodthing.com to see all the details.